Welcome back. It is a Cardinals off day, and you are in the right place for a Cardinals off day podcast. The second off day of the week. Uh, the Cardinals, assuming they hold on to win the game, they're currently leading against uh, the Cleveland baseball team as we record this. Uh, will be 32-30 and 30 on pace to win 84 games, so uh, pretty much right where they were earlier in this week when we checked in together. Uh, I'm Ben Godar here with Ben Humphrey. Ben, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, it has not been very long, and uh, the Cardinals are uh, 0-1 with the potential to go 1-1 since our last podcast. So I don't know what that means in terms of us recording podcasts and the effect on the, the club's play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to put a whole lot of faith in games where they face Shane Bieber. So uh, if they go 1-1 one and, one and they lose the Shane <laughs> Bieber game, I, I'll be okay with how this series turned out. Yes, the the two game series were made to be split, kind of like four game series are made to be split. I'm generally more surprised if it doesn't end in a split uh, than if one team manages to uh, take the series. So you're right. Uh, Bieber is pitching on another level. Uh, he's, uh, you know, just an excellent pitcher, frontline ace. And uh, Carlos Martinez nowadays uh, is not close to that. Uh, and so that was a matchup that favored Cleveland on paper uh, and then played out that way in reality. Um, Although I will say, and, and no one's going to like to hear this because Carlos's results were not great again, but uh, his strikeouts were up considerably. And I noticed a lot of uh, balls that at least uh, you know, game day uh, logged as 94 mile an hour four seam fastballs, which I don't think it's a coincidence that there were a lot of those and a lot of strikeouts. So, you know, even though he got touched up, uh, you know, for some runs, it actually looked to me like maybe the, the, the framework of what could be a good Carlos Martinez start going forward. Well, it's one of those things where uh, we've talked about this fastball velocity is important to his success. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to say that his new pitch, the cutter, that the, the pitching coach and the manager have praised this season, um, I, I think he's got to reduce his reliance on that, yeah. and I think he's got to go back to uh, you know using that breaking ball and using perhaps that sinker and I just wanted to bring up, I, I was looking at baseball savant after, you know, he got shelled because his cutter just has not looked too great to me. Yeah. And um, he's throwing it about 21% uh, of the time this year. And he's thrown a slider about 25% and his four seamer about 29%. But here is the batting line against his cutter. It's a 298 batting average, 333 expected batting average. And opponents are slugging 532 with a 620 expected slugging. That works out to a 373 weighted on base average, which uh, is an advanced metric, but it's, it's on the same scale as on base percentage. So think, when you see a 373 on-base percentage in the year 2021, that's very good. Yeah. So overall offensive production, uh, weighted on-base average, gives a run value to 
and then adjusts it to the on-base percentage scale so that we sort of have a greater context for it. Uh, so they are performing very well against this pitch, um, and it's something that I would like to see him get away from and maybe get yeah. back to a little bit more of the changeup and the sinker. I, opponents are hitting well against the sinker, but the, the, the slugging, the damage is far less. Yeah. And uh, I always think of Dave Duncan. Uh, there was an article, I think it might have been in the New York Times about when Dave Duncan was in spring training. And I think it might have been with Tom Seaver. And he was trying to get him to throw sinkers to get ground balls. And he was a little bit resistance, resistant. So then what Duncan did in spring training is they tallied all the extra base hits on ground balls. <laughs> that he gave up and all the extra base hits he gave up on non-ground balls. Yeah. You know, so this is in, you know, the early eighties, basically launch angle, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, and Duncan doing that. And so I, I feel like if Martinez can get back to that, to being more of a ground ball inducing uh, pitcher using that slider to get swings and misses and using the high fastball to get swings and misses uh, when he needs them, I think that's going to be a better recipe for success. And with the velocity yesterday, as you pointed out, Ben, I, I think that's a good omen that we're this deep into the season and he feels comfortable throwing that hard. Uh, even when he's having a rough start, like he still was not holding back. Yeah. He felt comfortable enough to let it rip. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've kind of been talking about something that we've learned in the last couple of days already. Did you have something else on tap that you that you learned or? Uh, no, the, the Carlos start I had teed up uh, kind of, and I just transitioned right into it, kind of the cutter. I, I, we're, we're, get, we're getting good at this. I teed you up for yeah. without us even discussing yes. it ahead of time. Yes, yes, exactly right. And, um, and I had looked it up. Yesterday didn't really teach me that. It just kind of solidified my belief that I just don't know how good the cutter is for him, even though uh, Maddox and Schilt have praised it and martinez has said he he feels it's a good pitch for him so yeah. i'm not a big fan of i i feel like i'm not a big fan of the cutter as just a concept overall i mean obviously you've got your your mariano rivera's and your kenley jansen's who have a just an unhittable cutter but i i feel like i see a lot of guys that try to add it and it's kind of a tweener that's neither, you know, neither fastball nor slider, which is the whole point of it. But sometimes it's, it's almost like the worst of both worlds. And it just kind of, it's, it's just almost kind of an inert offering that, you know, it's not getting the, you know, the, the speed and the rise of maybe their fastball, but it's not getting the break of their slider and it's just not doing anything. And Carlos, I would definitely, he, his cutter is not one that impresses me in that regard. Uh, I, you know, in terms of what I learned, I, I actually, so I sort of went back to something and this was um, actually something I wrote at uh, over at VEB uh, earlier this spring, just looking at uh, Pakota projection, um, which of course were very down on the Cardinals this year. And I looked just specifically at the kind of uh, runs scored and runs allowed and where they were projected to rank relative to the rest of the league. And I just kind of wanted to check in on, you know, where they're at with that. So uh, Pakota projected the Cardinals to be the 19th ranked offense. Um, they're actually the uh, 18th ranked offense. So, you know, this offense, I think, is right where really any of us projected. It's not good. It's not 
bad. It's not terrible by any means. It's it's a little below average. It's it's not great. You know, that's about where that's been. Now, the last couple seasons, 2019, the Cardinals were fifth in run prevention. and 2020, they were sixth in run prevention. And that's what allowed them to be a playoff team both of those two years was they were very, very good in run production while being, you know, a little below average in, in uh, run scoring. Well, this season, uh, Pocota projected them to be 16th in run prevention prevention they're actually currently 20th in run prevention so I, I think this just sort of continues to highlight something that i think we all understood you know um you know the offense is not great but the offense is pretty much i think exactly what we could have expected but the pitching is is you know kind of well underperforming what what they've done the last couple of years um and even a little below what some of the kind of lower uh rung projections had for them so that's probably going to be the biggest thing for them to address going forward. But that said, uh, we had two off days this week. We kind of focused on pitching that first uh, off day. So today we were going to focus a little bit more on the hitting side. And, and Ben, we, we talked about maybe kicking things off by talking about uh, about Tommy Edmond, who's uh, a subject of much discussion. Um, where do you want to go with Tommy Edmond? Well, I, I think the the legend of Tommy Edmond perhaps uh, versus the reality of the ball player. And he gets a lot of coverage. He's a leadoff guy. He has speed. He's very good in the field. Uh, He's a player who would have fit in on a Whitey Herzog managed team on a red Shandy's managed team on a Tony La Russa managed team. He's, he has good baseball instincts. He has very good fundamentals. Um, he does a lot of things very well. Um, but, you know, recently this week it kind of came up again. And I, I think I bristle at it because I want to like Tommy Edmond more than I do. And I think that the reason that I don't is this sort of uh, inflation of what he is as a player that has taken place among some in the St. Louis media. I I don't mean to paint with a broad brush, Um, but, and I think it all kind of flows back to his very good rookie year, which he really hasn't been as good as he was then with the juiced ball. Um, And with Edmund, you know, they, the St. Louis Cardinals organization uh, and Mike Schilt uh, clearly think highly of him as well. They got rid of Colton Wong and handed the starting second base job to Edmund and the leadoff position. And so uh, I found that fascinating because I looked at Edmund and I just, and still do see a utility player um, who could, who could maybe be an okay starting second baseman in the majors. Um, And uh, his fielding at second has been better than I thought it was. It's very good. Um, Excellent. Even. Um, But what I wanted to talk about more was his batting and, you know, what we have seen with him in the leadoff role. And, you know, Schilt does not give him many days off and he is often in the lineup. And, uh, you know, tonight he is one for three. He has a double, uh, which is not all that common for him to have an extra base hit. Um, But, you know, this brings his overall line. He's now hitting for a 267 batting average. He only has a 317 on base percentage, uh, which again, these are not bad in this day and age. A 267 batting average is good. Uh, he has a 388 slugging percentage and a 309 weighted on base average, and that works out to a 98 weighted runs created plus. So he plays in Bush Stadium, 
which suppresses offense, uh, but helps triples, which is something that, that he hits because he uh, hits the ball uh, low and into the corners of the stadium and in the gaps uh, and is able to use his speed to get around the bases. Um, but so that's his overall average. And I, I think a lot of times when we read uh, or look at statistics, we're, we're missing a greater context of uh, that production relative to the league. And I've noticed, noticed this in particular this year. Um, I've, I've just seen some negative uh, impressions on social media to like batting average and offensive lines that, that sort of miss the greater context of offense being down in the league. And so with Edmund, uh, I brought up uh, this morning in, in anticipation of this podcast, I looked up on fan graphs how major league teams are doing in terms of leadoff production. Okay. And, you know, Edmund has taken the vast majority of those plate appearances for St. Louis. And coming into play tonight by weighted runs created plus, so we're even giving him credit for playing his home games in Bush Stadium. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals were uh, tied for 20th in baseball in leadoff production with a 101 weighted runs created plus. Now, as I just said, uh, in the middle of tonight's game, Tommy Edmonds' production is down to a 98 weighted runs created plus, and that would rank uh, 24th. If, he, if Tommy Edmonds were a team for the leadoff position that would rank 24th in baseball out of 30 teams. So we're talking about a bottom one third, maybe uh, bottom six or seven uh, in terms of production for the St. Louis Cardinals from the leadoff spot. And this is not to say that Tommy Edmonds should be benched. It's just to say that he is more and more with, as time goes by, looking more like the type of light-hitting second baseman who bats eighth in the lineup uh, on most teams. And when you look at the the trouble this team has had scoring runs, you really wonder how much longer they can continue to give the most plate appearances to Tommy Edmond because he's nowhere near the best hitter on this team. And, you know, a player like Dylan Carlson is better. And, you know, quite frankly, Matt Carpenter is creeping up uh, a little bit on Edmund in terms of overall production. Uh, With his double tonight, and we are in the middle of the game, his weighted on base average is up to 292. His weighted runs created plus is up to 87. And so, you know, that gap has just slowly but steadily shrank as the season has gone on. And, you know, again, I'm not saying that Carpenter... Uh, should start over Edmund. I'm saying that Tommy Edmund isn't hitting that much better, or maybe hitting is the wrong word. He is hitting better because his batting average is higher, but he has a hollow batting average and he doesn't walk, which means, and, and hollow means he doesn't hit for a lot of power. And so his overall offensive production is really not all that uh, great. It's, it's average ish. Yeah. Um, it's good for a second baseman and it's bad for a leadoff hitter. And I, I think the Cardinals, they have a lot of problems on this team, um, but you kind of wonder how much of the offense is, uh, you know, kind of hampered by getting a player like Tommy Edmond all the plate appearances that Schilt is intent on getting him. 
Yeah. And, and, and Ben, I'm, you and I are kind of on the same boat on this. And I feel like, um, you know, being somewhat down on the overall perception of Tommy Edmund is something that, you know, we do have to discuss in, in hushed tones and dark corners of, uh, of the internet. <laughs> yes. He is a beloved figure. And I think that's worth, that's worth keeping in mind. Um, and I feel like, and, and again, this is nothing against Tommy Edmund, but he is just, his profile, it's, it's an old school skills profile that just really hits on a number of people, kind of the, the type of production or the type of player that they, that they like, that they want to see, you know, he hits on a lot of those things. And I, I think it just sometimes, uh, it, it tends to sort of overinflate the kind of, you know, perception of him. He's a guy, he hits for a lot of contact. I mean, we've talked about it. He doesn't walk, he doesn't strike out. So it's, he's putting balls in play constantly. And, and of course, league wide, that's something that everybody talks about. Gosh, I wish there were more balls in play. I mean, Tommy Edmund could be the poster child for balls in play because he puts a lot of balls in play. So, I think that's something that a lot of people, um, you know, really gravitate towards. Now, especially as a left-handed batter, uh, a lot of those balls he puts in play are two inches below the strike zone, and he's, you know, hitting ground balls to the right side of the, you know, the field, which is why, as you said, he has a bit of an empty batting average. There's not a lot of, um, you know, production that's going on there, you know, but that's part of it. Uh, you know, he's a speedy guy. That's always something that's important. He's a versatile guy. And I tell you, Cardinals fans in particular, man, we as a as a group, we love these like scrappy, versatile guys, don't we? I mean, Jose Okendo is a saint and I love Jose Okendo. And, you know, these and, and to some extent, I think it reflects on Cardinals fans appreciation of nuances of the game that they do appreciate some of these guys. But, you know, let's be honest, it can get a little bit inflated, too. Um, you know, the other guy that comes to mind, of course, is is David Eckstein, who, you know, was kind of famously not just Cardinal fans, but kind of the national media sort of fell in love with, you know, scrappy, you know, little David Eckstein out there. And uh, I remember Fire Joe Morgan in particular just, you know, would r- kind of rail on that. You know, he was another guy who had absolutely had a skill set, had a major league quality skill set, but through a certain lens that some people like to watch the ball, the game through, you know, was kind of inflated beyond, you know, the actual sort of value that he provided out there. Because I agree with you. I think the best version of Tommy Edmond gets 450 to 500 plate appearances all over the field. I think the best version of Tommy Edmond is one where the St. Louis Cardinals uh, re-signed Colton Wong. And so they come into the season without, Tommy Edmond having a specific starting role, but still playing all the time. So right now, for example, with a decimated outfield, you know, he might be playing right field more or less every day. And when Colton Wong is injured or, or when, you know, I guess Paul DeYoung right now is injured, you know, he's over there playing shortstop. Um, they talk a lot about the sort of Zobris profile. And I think that is a good profile for Edmund. Edmund's not quite the hitter that Zobrist was, but, um, you know, if this team was really, you know, built to be a juggernaut, I think we would have a, a a stronger starting second baseman, a stronger starting right field, but Tommy Edmond would be the guy that substituted in both corner outfield spots and, uh, uh, you know, second short and third base and, and got a, a ton of plate appearances and would still produce a lot of value doing that. I, to me, that's the best version of Tommy Edmond. And the one of the comparisons that 
uh, actually makes me laugh out loud because it's so ridiculous uh, is the Ben Zobris comparison. Like the only similarity is that they can both play multiple positions. The difference between uh, Tommy Edmond and Zobrist is that for most of his career, Zobrist was such a good hitter that he could play right field and his the team benefited from it because he was hitting uh, as well as or better than a league average right fielder. I mean, Tommy Edmond is probably much closer to Zobrist in the twilight of his career with the Cubs, where he was putting up like 85 weighted runs created plus. So he's hitting 15% below league average and playing second base. And see, that's really the thing with Edmond. He's fun to watch in the outfield because he's so fast and he's got a pretty good arm, but he can't hit. Now the Cardinals right now with injuries um, and uh, you know, just the way that they're, roster is structured um doing no small part because of those injuries uh they really don't have a better option than a tommy edmund like in right field but that's that's the problem is that the cardinals need to play edmund in right field because there isn't a better option whereas the tampa bay rays could play him there because he was the best option Right in a corner outfield spot because well, of his bat and defense. And I'm going to disagree with you by agreeing with you because I think the problem isn't that they need to play Tommy Edmond in the outfield because they have a hole there. The problem is doing that takes him away as their starting second baseman. You know that's the pro- or the problem is when they start him at second base, then it means they have to start Jose Rondon in right field at this point. Right. 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 Edmund should be their top player off the bench is is where he should be. And the fact that he's not there, that's where the excuse me, that's where the deficiency is is coming in. Um, Yeah. And and I think you're going to see Edmund in right field a lot Uh, today. uh, The St. STL today dot com reported that Bader uh, is a long ways off. Uh, He has not recovered the way that they thought. Uh, so he's not going to be joining the team very soon. Uh, however, Paul DeYoung might join the team as soon as this weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you'll see is is you will probably see Schilt go with DeYoung at shortstop, Sosa at second, and Edmund in right. So we're going to see a lot of Edmund in right field. And hopefully he can hit a little bit more. He had a little stretch uh, there in Chicago and L.A. where I was heartened because he was hitting more line drives and fly balls. Uh, but since then, uh, you know, he's kind of gone back to the ground ball, uh, batted ball profile. And and that's really been the thing that has driven the the downward trend in his offensive production is, you know, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't barrel the ball uh, on average very often either. And so... Uh, he hits a lot more grounders and just doesn't hit for a lot of power. And so that's kind of the barometer to look at is that where are his balls going? Are they going into the ground or are they going uh, in the air? And if he's hitting those line drives and getting that power, uh, he's, he's on, he's hitting well and, and doing the team well, but when he's hitting the ball on the ground, it's, it's usually pretty empty offensive production from him. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, I think he's also going to be playing a lot of right field. And I agree with you. I think 
uh, Edmondo Sosa is going to be playing some second base, but I think we're going to see Matt Carpenter continue to play some second base because, you know, if you've been watching closely these last few weeks, Carpenter has really kind of creeped back into the picture in terms of, of production. And, and boy, would that be a nice, like, kind of uh, just uh, diamond to find for the Cardinals to stumble upon for Matt Carpenter to suddenly reassert himself and be a, you know, major league quality hitter that they could plug in at, you know, at second base. So that would, uh, that would absolutely be something. And quite honestly, in the last two weeks, has there, has there been a bigger hit than Matt Carpenter's double in the bottom of the first inning tonight? It's silly to say that a bottom of the first inning hit is huge, but you've got two outs, the base is loaded and he doubles and, you know, like if he if he makes an out, it just really felt like here we go again, you know, could yeah. kind of be the energy of the night. And so yeah. uh, you you may be right. Carpenter may be getting some more playing time. And, you know, quite honestly, he's taking good plate appearances right now. And it's it's difficult to argue with a manager wanting to get him those plate appearances. Yeah. Well, and just just to kind of cap things off here, and I, I realize you know Ben and I have come in a little you know down on on Tommy Edmond, and of course we're not really down on Tommy Edmond. We like Tommy Edmond a lot. He's a he's a very good player, but you know we've kind of talked about this idea of him maybe kind of the narrative of Tommy Edmond being kind of outsized, and to me that was maybe exemplified a couple nights ago. Uh, Rick Ankiel was doing the color commentary in the booth, and by the way, I really enjoy Rick Ankiel in the booth. I enjoy that he's not talking yes. constantly. I think he's a great. Great color man. So the fact that I'm going to criticize something here is kind of an isolated incident from him. But there was a point where he said, Tommy Edmond has to be this team's MVP so far. And I thought, that is insane. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is insane. Have you seen the guy playing third base? He is a much yeah. better baseball player. And, and you know, again, Cardinals fans, they love to feel like they find these diamonds in the rough. And I look, I get it. Like when somebody says you know, what's your favorite song by this band, right? You immediately eliminate all of the hit singles and you try to find like a deep cut to show kind of, you know, how how clever you are. And I think we do that a little bit as fans too. And that's maybe why we sometimes, you know, gravitate towards these. Well, well, here's a guy who's actually very clearly not the best player, but I really like his skill set. I like some of the things he does. So I'm going to talk him up. So I feel like that's a little more where we're coming from with kind of our, our slight pushback about maybe where the, the narrative is living with Tommy Edmond versus where the, the reality is. But uh, we don't want to focus just on uh, Mr. Edmond tonight. We kind of wanted to touch on some uh, some other offensive players. Um, ben, was there somebody that you wanted to start off with? Well, I think Tyler O'Neill is the most fascinating player on this team this year. Uh, because we've, you and I have seen him in AAA. And when we were talking about him with Kyle a a couple episodes ago, you know, I think we kind of all agreed when he was in AAA, it was just kind of like, what is this guy doing here? Like, it's really like, it's time you throw him in the deep end and see if he can swim. And for, you know, a couple years now, it has looked like he's just going to sink like a stone in the majors. And even at the beginning of this year, before he went on the injured list for the first time, it looked like he was going to sink like a stone. And uh, since that first stint on the IL, uh, he has been just an absolute beast uh, for this team. 
And if he had been playing the whole year like this, I think you could make a pretty good argument that he might be the team's uh, MVP. Yeah. Uh, but but the injured list stints uh, and the slow start kind of short circuit that. But I mean, he has just uh, been incredible in a really weird way. Yeah. Well, and uh, no, a hundred percent. And uh, and I've been just I've been trying to look at his profile myself and just kind of like make heads or tails of it. And uh, lately I've become very enamored with uh, baseball savants uh, on, on a, a player page on baseball savant. They have their uh, percentile rankings in all of these various things, you know, exit velocity, X Woba barrel percentage whiff percentage, all this stuff. And w- one of the things I like about it is they present them as uh, sliders from, you know, zero to a hundred kind of w- what percentile they're at in the league. And uh, I think the reason I like it so much is it really it looks like a video game. And you and I talked about this earlier the week, and I think you were the one that actually said Tyler O'Neill has like video game create a player <laughs> profile. Uh, and you look at his baseball savant page, and it's it's ridiculous because almost all of them are dragged all the way to the far right. You know, so of course his exit velocity, his expected batting average, his sprint speed, you know, these things are all, you know, like in, you know, the, like above the, literally all those things I just named are like above the 95th percentile of the league. I mean, they're essentially all maxed out. And then his whiff percentage, his strikeout percentage, his walk percentage are dragged all the way in the other direction at, you know, like the bottom 5% of the league. So he's got, just this ridiculous profile. And I, I, I've been looking at it, trying to figure out because uh, of course the worry is this, you know, can this guy be just exploited? I think is becomes the worry, you know, when a guy has such extremes in his game and actually uh, Ben Clemens, uh, our former VEB uh, colleague and fan writer wrote something about it just today where he was looking at exactly the same thing. And, and, you know, Ben's a, a little better at kind of digging through the numbers than I am. I'm just looking at the sliders here. But but he reached more or less the same conclusion that I did, which is just kind of Tyler O'Neill's just a lot of everything. And the one thing that I take away from looking at his profile here, you know, his so his strikeouts um, and his whiffs are very, very bad. His chase rate, he's in the 34th percentile for chase rate, which is not good, but it's not terrible either. Um, and it, it suggests that even as pitchers may start pitching him out of the zone, he may not completely, you know, crumble to stone because he's chasing everything. I mean, he basically just swings a lot and he, he misses quite a few times when he swings, but when he makes contact, he absolutely decimates the ball. And that, and that was more or less what Ben found in his piece was, you know, he's uh, he's he's seeing kind of a ridiculous number of pitches in the zone right now and doing a lot of damage on those. But, um, you know, Ben's expectation was as the pitchers start finally pitching him out of the zone, you're actually going to see that walk rate come up a little bit. You're not going to see it. Everything disappear into chasing all those balls and kind of strikeouts. So, I don't know. That's and I hope that's the case because I love just weird video game Tyler O'Neill and I hope he can keep this up. Yeah, he he is a player uh that I very well may have created on Triple Play on PlayStation. <laughs> and the stat line uh is similar to a video game stat line where you're playing. Because when you play video games or at least uh, years ago when I used to do it, you know, you're not taking a lot of walks. Oh yeah. Um, when you're playing video games, neither is Tyler O'Neill. Uh, 
his walk rate is 3.2%, which is terrible. Uh, his strikeout rate's 34%, which is terrible. But he's hitting 279, which is good this year. Uh, he has a 314 on base percentage, which is uh, about league average. And then his slugging is 605. All that works out to a weighted on base average of 387 for a 149 weighted runs created plus, which is really great. And so it really is like there's some kid somewhere swinging at all the pitches with Tyler O'Neill. And oh, yeah. his tools are such so far this year that he's made contact and has been productive despite the fact that he hardly ever walks. And that's going to be the thing to watch is teams, even with the the chase rate as it is now, teams are still going to be trying to get him to expand the zone. And the question is what gives do, does he, does he give in and continue to whiff and does that kind of crumble his ability to have success or does he continue to be aggressive early and uh, hunt for those fastballs in the zone and destroy them like he has been? The thing that has been most fascinating to me, and, and again, the baseball savant page, which is so much fun. Uh, if you haven't gone there, folks, you can go down the rabbit hole uh, for hours. But the spray chart for O'Neill, it's just hits everywhere and, and extra base hits everywhere. Uh, including homers. And we all know that he is jacked. Um, and so it's really good to see him relying on his strength. You know, he doesn't have to sell out for power to left field like a Paul DeYoung. He can stay back, let the ball get a little bit deeper and do serious damage. And I think that's been something where you can see that maybe that light bulb or that switch has been flipped and he really is driving the ball to all fields and it's been really good to see and his his offensive line is so weird i don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the year and i certainly don't know what it will look like at the end of next year i mean it, he he couldn't he could be a bench player by the end of the next season um, right. because it's so weird i just i don't know how it's going to break um, but I do know that he has tremendous physical abilities, so I'm hesitant to to bet against him, even with the high strikeout rate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so uh, who else did you want to? You, you mentioned one to, to. I think Yachty was another name that you you wanted to touch on, Ben. What was it you wanted to hit on with Yachty? Uh, I love Yadier Molina. I'm very happy with the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got him on the record. Yeah. To a contract. I just, uh, the older I get, I am now just firmly on the, oh, Yadier wants to play, then just give him the money. Yeah. You know, like, what, what, what does he want? I, you know, the Cardinals seem to do what the Cardinals do and kind of drug out the negotiations with him. Um, uh, for whatever reason. And I still really hope he comes back next year so that we get a proper and like maybe announces his retirement beforehand. So we get a proper farewell tour. Um, but, but the Yachty, you know, Yachty's ability to go from a no bat, all defense catcher. And then he just, he remade himself and, uh, you know, didn't hit for a lot of power, but hit for contact drew some walks and, and was a decent offensive player there at the end of the odds. 
Uh, and then he went and he kind of recreated himself again. He added power to his game. And this was when he was an MVP caliber player. Um, then he kind of faded again with injuries and everything else and kind of seemed to be reverting back to his uh, low offensive production, uh, good defense, though fading defense. Um, and then this year, you know, it's kind of like, we want the farewell tour. We want to say goodbye. But the thing that Yachty has never really done is struck out. Well, this year, he's, I don't know if he's been hanging out with Tyler O'Neill or what, um, but he's, he's swinging and missing more often. He's striking out more often, but it's because he has sold out for power. And he, so he's doing two things that he's never really done before. And that's hit for power and strike out. He's still striking out below the league average. Uh, oh, yeah. The last time I checked, well, well, and but me... for him it's very high, and he's also hitting for a lot of power, and it's it's pretty remarkable to see. Well, let me jump in here because Yachty's another great one. Go to his baseball savant fade page and click between his twenty twenty percentile rankings and his twenty twenty one percentile rankings, and it is shocking the way that the the sliders jump there. So his average exit velocity and his barrel percentage in twenty twenty he was in the fourth percentage of exit velocity and the seventh percentage of barrel of barrel percentage. This season, he's in the 60th percentile of exit velocity and the 54th percentile of barrel percentage. His strikeouts, which you mentioned, he was in the 93rd percentile of K percentage last year. So absolutely elite. This year it's dropped, but it's still at 61%. So he's he's given up. He's absolutely given up some strikeouts, but the amount of production he's getting out of it is just remarkable. And it's clearly, and I don't know how... This had to be planned. I mean, this had to be kind of a a game plan thing coming into the season. But I feel like it's almost got to be working out better than they could have even imagined because it's very obviously a hugely beneficial trade-off to the extent that this has been a conscious choice of like, I'm going to change my approach to allow myself X number more strikeouts, but I'm going to you know gain just mountains of better quality contact out of it. And it's it's fun also to toggle back and forth between his spray chart. We're about we're a little bit more uh, in terms of total games than where the Cardinals uh, were at the end of the 2020 season. But if you go back and forth, and and Yadi had a COVID 19. It was 2020. It was super weird. But his spray chart is a whole bunch of singles just sprayed around the field and then a couple doubles, and then four home runs that he pulled over the left field wall. And then when you go to 2021, you know, there is definitely more of a pull approach if you look at his hit spray chart. And he's got doubles down the left field line, and his home runs, he's hit a couple to right, center, and right. But his home runs are all, like, in the corner of left field. Like, it seems, and watching him hit, it, it would certainly seem evident there. But when you look at his spray chart, it seems pretty clear. Like he has taken the pull the ball out of the park approach. Um, and with his contact skill, he's hitting for this enormous uh, power increase, but he's still striking out at a lower than average rate for major league as a whole, even though he's, you know, he, he might very well double his K rate. Um, this year from last year before it's all said and done, which is something you rarely see for a hitter unless he's like 
leaving the league because his game is gone. You know, like it's rare. I really want to see 38-year-old Yadier Molina win the National League Silver Slugger at catcher. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. That yeah. would be amazing. And I, he, he's not – I mean, he's he's in the conversation right now. And, I mean, he's he's old as early in the season. I think it will be a challenge for him to hang on to it. But, I mean, what he's doing could could very well get it done. Um, so did you did you want to touch on, on Goldschmidt? Um, yeah, I, Goldschmidt uh, – is kind of like the little engine that could, I feel like this year, like he's doing a lot of things well, and he had a slump early, even though he was making really solid contact. Uh, you know, he was hitting the ball hard, uh, making good contact. The results weren't just there. Um, and the funny thing is, Ben, when you're Paul Goldschmidt and you have three years making over $20 million left on your contract, um, you know, you, you get a little bit more of a leash than Matt Carpenter. The, the president of baseball operations doesn't go to the media and say, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over again (laughs) and expecting a different result talking about hitting the ball hard, mind you, I, I just felt like I was in the twilight zone where I'm like, are we really having a conversation about Matt Carpenter hitting the ball hard and this somehow not being good actually? Um, so I've been heartened that Carpenter has stayed the course and continued to hit the ball hard, which I thought was a goal in baseball, uh, and his numbers creeping up as he does that. And Goldschmidt has done the same thing. He's just had more of an opportunity to do it. Um, you know, he's hitting for high exit velocity. Uh, his numbers, uh, based on the expected numbers, should be better than they are. Uh, Where they are right now, they're a little bit better than average, uh, about four percentage points better. Um, And I think uh, uh, something that is plaguing him that has been plaguing a lot of the Cardinals uh, is the reduced walks. But I feel like it's because they're maybe being a little bit more aggressive earlier in the count on fastballs, which I think is a a defensible trade-off. You want to hunt that fastball before the the spider tack enabled breaking balls descend on you in a, in a pitcher's count and, you know, you're unable to do anything with them. Yeah. And so, you know, Goldschmidt is someone where he has that large contract. He's entering the decline phase of his career. But if you look at the way he's going about uh, his at bats and the contact he's able to, to generate, I think there's reason to believe he's, he's going to continue to improve as the season goes on. Yeah, I would agree. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And again, if you, if you flip through his uh, percentiles over there at baseball savant, this episode's turning into basically a, a commercial for baseball savant, but that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll try to see if we can get them on as a sponsor in the future, but uh, it's, it's his walk percentage. That's really changed this year. He's been kind of a 90th percentile and above guy in terms of walk percentage. He's currently 47th percentile. Everything else is really the same. So his quality of contact is the same. Um, his strikeouts aren't doing anything too crazy, you know, but those walks are disappearing. And of course, you know, a walk is guaranteed to be a good result of an at bat. And when you convert that into a ball and play, even if you have good contact skills, it's, it becomes a little more variable. And that's kind of where we see with him too. But you know, I'm with you. I think his, his overall numbers, maybe he's had some bad luck lately. They're, you know, some of the kind of uh, more raw numbers aren't looking real great. But when you look under the hood, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about, uh, about Paul Goldschmidt there. So, uh, so moving forward, um, we, 
I think the next thing we kind of wanted to touch on is, and we hit on this a little bit last week, and we talked about the fact we we, we or earlier this week I should say we talked about pitching, and uh, you know we kind of talked about uh, obviously th- there's no trades to be had right now. It's not that time of the year. They're going to continue to kind of work with what they have in their system, but but I think we did want to maybe you know, look into our hourglass or our, uh, uh, no crystal balls. I want to say hourglass counts the time. The crystal ball is what predicts. Let's look at, don't look into our hourglass, Ben. We don't need to know the time. We need to look into the crystal ball. Uh, what do you see? What kind of trade do you see potentially coming together for this team? Uh, you know, as we get into July. Um, I think you're going to see, uh, them go out and get a starter who is uh, more of an innings eater and maybe has a little bit of that uh, salty bulldog edge um, to bring that into the clubhouse uh, and kind of be the the counter complement, I guess is what I want to say, uh, to Wainwright there uh, with the pitchers. Um, because I, at this point in time, I don't think that you can count on Michaelis um, at all this year. And and I hope that I'm wrong, but uh, I fear it's going to be very difficult. And they just if, they... I don't know if Michaelis is going to pitch again. I'll be honest. I mean, Michaelis, <laughs> you know, he. It's not just that he hasn't pitched. Well, it's partly that he hasn't pitched for a long time, but it's also it just seems like there's not even a, a specific. Uh, diagnosis on kind of what's wrong. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's concerning. It doesn't, it, yeah. Well, it, and it seems to be a moving target, right? right? Like he had the forearm surgery, then it was shoulder soreness and that was what kept him. And then he came back in the majors and had soreness in his forearm. And there was like some sort of calcium uh, deposit in there that they have to, you know, that they have to deal with. And it's kind of made me wonder, like, how did this just come up when he started in the majors? And so sort of the moving target nature of it. And now we're back to the part of the arm that was, that was repaired uh, to me is very concerning. And so I think you're going to see them go and get probably a John Lackey type of starter. Yeah. Uh, well, when, and, you said, when you said salty bulldog, of course, uh, my mind and everyone's mind immediately went to John Lackey. Well, I was thinking of the children who maybe didn't read Viva Alberto seven years, was that seven <laughs> years ago. I, I, you know, I'm dating myself. Uh, but, um, you know, they're, they're going to look for someone, whether it's a rental till the end of this season or whether it is, you know, this season plus one. I think that's what you're going to see. I you know, like everyone else, I want Max Scherzer, but I think we're much more likely to see, you know, kind of a John Lackey. You could also throw maybe like Woody Williams out as another or Chuck Finley, kind of these veteran guys who are middle rotation innings eaters because they have to relieve the stress on that bullpen. And that will, you know, that rising tide of starter innings will raise all boats down in the bullpen because, they won't have to be spread so thin covering innings and Schilt will be able to be more strategic uh, when he's deploying relievers. And so that's the move that I really think that they will make. Um, I, 
I've seen a few people throw out outfielders out there, and I just don't see it right now. I They could maybe get a veteran left-handed hitting outfielder because Williams, you know, he's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and use that, that player to kind of complement O'Neill and Bader a little bit uh, so that they can get them breaks against uh, righties with good breaking stuff. But right now, to me, the number one need is a starting pitcher because I just don't think, you know, Oviedo is the answer. Um, you know, John Gant certainly isn't the answer. And so they, they not only have to replace Michaelis, they have to get Gant out of the rotation. And I, I just, it is not good. They, they may even go out and try to get two starters depending yeah. on, on what the Michaelis situation looks like, because, uh, they have a serious lack of quality starters, uh, on the team right now. And so, uh, that's got to be priority number one. And the biggest problem in that regard is, you know, if a relief pitcher were priority number one, you might be able to go get one now. Mm-hmm. But when you when you need a starter, the type of starter you need isn't on the trade market now because teams aren't yet ready to give up on their season. And so well, well, I don't know if you saw this reported today, but you know who is available on the market right now is uh, Shelby Miller. I saw that and I am a sucker for reunions. So uh, when I saw that, I was actually like, I, you know, like he pitched all right in AAA uh, for the Cubs. If they're using him out of the bullpen, uh, you know, there are worse, worse options for sure. And certainly worse options on this roster. So I, I would be all for that. You know, I remember when they drafted him. I remember when he was getting in fights in the minors. And, yeah. <laughs> and I remember his one hitter against the Rockies. And so uh, I, th- I think if they're bringing him back, uh, that could be a potential fit because they, they need to do something to see if it works. And yeah. they've shuffled through all the players uh, that they have in the high minors that they're ready to call up, it seems like. And so they've got to start looking outside the organization. So I rent just random story. I happened to see Shelby Miller had a game pitching against the I Cubs here in Des Moines that I want, I think he struck out 17. It was just an insane. I mean, it was the best in-person pitching performance I've ever seen in my, in my life. And it also included the most amazing thing I've ever seen at a ballpark, uh, a play. I don't remember if it was a Redbirds player or an I Cubs player, but a player hit a very high foul ball kind of d- drifted just behind the screen and it landed in somebody's beer cup. So this was like an afternoon game. It was very sparsely attended. And so whoever was sitting there was by themselves. And they had they had like left their seat to go get something. But they left their beer in the cup holder. And I, sh- I shit you not, the ball landed in the beer cup in the cup holder. And we know this because it came down. And I mean, a geyser of beer shot like probably 12 to 15 feet straight up into the air. And and then a, uh, a guy who was sitting a couple of rows before kind of went down to the cup and reached down and pulled the ball up out of the cup to present to the rest of the stadium. And <laughs> as good as Shelby Miller's pitching performance was, by far the largest ovation of the day and the thing that I think everyone else who was there went home remembering was a foul ball landed in a beer cup in a cup holder. I mean, you're you're never going to see that again. So. No, that was that's amazing. <laughs> uh, you, you're 
that is a once in a lifetime uh, experience as a fan. Uh, both the 17 strikeouts, although maybe not in this day and age, but also the beer cup. That's amazing. Yeah. So we'll see if we can recreate uh, that magic with a with a frosty Budweiser uh, in front of Mike Shannon. <laughs> oh, uh, I love at Bush. Well, you know, it's funny just talking about what kind of trade you're expecting. We're on exactly the same wavelength because I was just kind of jotting down earlier, like what are some trades they've made in the last 10 years? And and I came to the same place. First thing I thought of was John Lackey for Alan Craig and Joe Kelly. You know, you're probably not going to see major leaguers dealt for major leaguers because who does that anymore? But, um, you know, but that that feels very much like something this year. The other one, which I mentioned earlier in the week, too, was that 2011 trade that brought in Edwin Jackson, Octavio Dotel, Mark Sepchinski. And I forgot to mention Corey Patterson last time. And who could forget? <laughs> who could forget the tremendous value that late period Corey Patterson uh, contributed? But I think the thing about both of those now, Lackey was still a fairly front line ish type starter, you know, kind of top half of the rotation, not really a number one, but, you know, still pretty good. But that that 2011 trade was really about warm bodies, you know, and none of those Dotel was actually pretty good. I mean, Dotel was a pretty solid, like kind of late inning guy. But, you know, the rest of them are really just, you know, decent. But, you, you know, sometimes you, you need to bolster your decent. And I feel like that's where the team is this year, too. I don't think they I don't think they need a superstar somewhere. They just need some some warm bodies because as much depth as this organization typically produces. And, and I I will always say that's what makes the car consistently so good is that their their system produces depth guys and they don't have to go out and spend money on free agents you know they they can get they'll produce enough league average ish guys to fill out a, a, a roster i think that's what but but this year they're just you know they're really scraping the barrel and they, they are having some depth issues there and i think part of it is injuries i think part of it is the fact that there was no minor leagues last yes. year i think a lot of guys are on just weird development tracks who probably would have been ready to step in and aren't quite but um yeah i'm with you i mean uh, you know if something like a scherzer deal came together i think that'd be amazing and i don't think that's out of the question especially because I feel like we've reached a point where you don't see teams giving away quite the prospect hauls that they once were for those rental players. You know, you look at what something like the Dodgers gave up for Mookie Betts, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, the, the Cardinals could get Max Scherzer without having to, you know, trade Matthew Libertor or Nolan Gorman or anyone of that, you know, of that caliber. So it is something that could happen and, and sure let's hope it happens. Cause that would be fun as hell for a variety of reasons, but I'm with you. I think kind of, you know, depth is more likely and, and, and probably starting pitcher is the most likely thing, but I certainly think um, we'll see some, some uh, relievers too. I always think the best way to get relievers is to go after those Shelby Miller type guys and just pick up those, those waiver wires, those release guys, you know, just, just kind of throw numbers at it. And, and, you know, the Cardinals have certainly acquired a number of quality relievers over the years from, you know, from that kind of dumpster diving. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Mo and Gersh are going to, you know, put on their latex gloves and, you know, get into the dumpster and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll come up with something. Um, anything else on trades or should we talk about what we're, uh, what we're going to be looking for? Yeah, I think we can move on. I because I I'm with you. I think the the as I said, they'll target a starter. I I think a reliever is is probably likely, and I think it's going to be like a Mujica type who walks no one. Yes, <laughs> like yeah, like they will go get someone who 
uh, will single-handedly reduce the bullpen walk rate by by a few percentage points because they do it so rarely. Um, and and it's tough to it would be tough to argue uh, with such a decision. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so uh, what, what do you have something in mind that you're uh, you're going to be looking for here over this next stretch of games? Um, it, it's going to. I'm going to be looking at uh, can they win the games where the starting pitching keeps them in the game. So tonight, Adam Wainwright starting at home, that is a good omen. Uh, they lost one. Uh, they lost his last start in a similar situation where he pitched uh, well enough that the team could have won and the bats didn't show up. Tonight, the bats did show up. Wainwright pitched well, and and that is a a, a good win for the team. And given where the rotation is right now, they have to win the games where, you know, the Adam Wainwrights and Carlos Martinez's give them an opportunity to win the game. And if John Gant goes five innings and, and doesn't get shelled, you know, you, you need to find a way to win that game too, because you can't keep looking a gift horse in the mouth, uh, which they've done. I mean, John Gant's, uh, you know, has not pitched well, but his ERA is good. And that's not something that's going to continue. So they need to continue to take advantage of those games where he doesn't give up that many runs. And so that's what I'm going to look at is can the rest of the team join a good starter in winning the game? Because yeah. that's the only way they're going to keep their heads above water until the reinforcements come both from the injured list and potentially from outside the organization. Yeah, I mean, with Flaherty gone, they have the one guy where you kind of were like, okay, we're going to win today. Or like, I feel reasonably comfortable we're going to win today. And, you know, in years past, Wainwright for many years was that guy. Chris Carpenter was that guy. You know, it's always nice to have one or two of those guys where it's like, okay, these are the games we're probably going to win. And then the rest of them are, are left to a coin flip. And yeah, you're right. Right now with Flaherty out, every game is kind of at best a coin flip. So it's like, if you're if you if you get a lead in a coin flip game, you got yeah you got to lock those down. I'm with you. Um, I think I'm gonna and I sort of touched on this earlier. I'm gonna be specifically looking at second base over the next couple of weeks and just seeing what are the who's playing there and how are they performing because I think um, that's gonna be a real benchmark for what this offense can do. I really hope that it's Matt Carpenter or Edmondo Sosa playing second base, because I hope that means that both of them are playing well enough and producing well enough to justify that. And that means that Tommy Edmond is playing in right field. And that means that Jose Rondon is not playing right field. And Lane Thomas is not playing right field because those guys have just shown themselves to be you know, just below average players. We can't have those guys in the lineup. So if Sosa and Carpenter are playing second base, I think it's because, you know, because frankly, if the, if those two aren't producing, it will go back to being Tommy Edman at second base. And that means we have a hole in right field. So, so that's why I'm going to look at second base. Cause if we have that second base hole plug, that means we've also got right field plugged sufficiently by, uh, by Tommy Edman. So, um, I think we wanted to end today, Ben, with uh, kind of a new thing I think we're going to hope, hope to add more often, and that's uh, an off-day recommendation. So something outside of um, just the main line of what we've been talking about to kind of recommend to folks. So uh, why don't you kick us off? 
Yeah, the the Cardinals are not playing. Uh, you've listened to our podcast. If you still have some more uh, time that you need to fill, because there is a hole where Cardinals baseball uh, usually is, um, I've uh, I've got a recommendation uh, for folks. Uh, Yahoo Sports had a good article on humidors in MLB ballparks, and it was by uh, Zach Kreiser, and I believe uh, Hannah Kaiser also. Uh, uh, helped with some of the reporting, contributed reporting uh, to this article. Yes, she did. I just scrolled down to the bottom. And so uh, this season, and it has kind of flown under the radar, uh, nine MLB ballparks uh, are using humidors. And among the new parks to introduce a humidor is Bush Stadium. And so the old saying that balls are going to start flying at bush when the weather warms up and the humidity comes in might not be as true this year. And I feel like this has kind of gone under the radar for Cardinals fans specifically and baseball fans in general, that the humidor is becoming more widely used to try to control the baseballs and make a more uniform uh, game ball uh, for hitting. And, and this was a good article. Uh, and I recommend folks uh, look it up at Yahoo Sports. Uh, the title is, These Nine MLB Ballparks Are Using Humidors. What Does It Mean for Baseball's Offensive Downturn? And it was published on Tuesday, June 8, 2021. Uh, it's a good read um, and something that I don't know how many folks are aware of. Uh, so I recommend that. Yeah, and we'll try to throw a link into the the post with this episode as well to help folks find that. Um, so I, my recommendation, it's not something that you can digest in the off day unless you really want to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, I'm about halfway through a, a book uh, called A False Spring by Pat Jordan. Um, and this was a book that was given to me by another a good friend who's a good baseball fan, actually Ben, uh, ben Zacharich, Ben, who you also know. So I'm just introducing yet another person named Ben who we talk about baseball with. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, Ben shared this book with me. It's, it's really enjoyable. Uh, Pat Jordan is, uh, uh, he was a, a bonus baby uh, um, of the late 50s. Uh, he was a pitcher, grew up in Connecticut, uh, you know, really promising pitcher, signed with, ended up signing with the Braves um, for about $35,000 and went into their minor league system and just uh, fizzled, never made the major leagues. And and Pat Jordan went on to uh, study creative writing and become a, a pretty successful uh, uh, fiction writer and, and just writer and, and nonfiction as well himself. So it's, it's a great read because, uh, you know, it's first of all, it's a very unique perspective, um, this kind of uh, you know, bonus baby, highly regarded prospect who fizzles. But then how often do those people also, <laughs> you know, become very good writers themselves who sort of have the uh, the faculties to describe what they went through? And, and that's what I'm really enjoying. And I am only about halfway through it, too. So um, but that, that's what I'm really enjoying about it is just, the, you know, the picture he paints of himself as a young man. And he, uh, you know, he really, you know, baseball and specifically pitching, too, was his only thing. He was just solely focused on developing himself as a pitcher. And you see that he was really just this kind of unformed human being. There was not a lot else to him outside of that. And so when his uh, kind of, you know, pitching career 
you know, sort of fizzled, you know, he, there was, he didn't have a lot else to grasp onto. So it's interesting because it's sort of this, this man who later in life, you know, became very skilled and able to, um, you know, put to words kind of these things, describing himself as a young man who really was just was kind of without tools to deal with the world where he was at. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's it's one of these books, you, you see it on some kind of like, you know, best, you know, baseball, best sports book kind of list, but it tends to be kind of towards the middle. So it's like not one of those. I'm sure there's people listening to this who have read it, but I think a lot of people have not. And so um, anyway, if you haven't checked it out, uh, Fall Spring by Pat Jordan is one that I would really recommend. So um, Ben, anything else before we wrap up this off day? Nope. Uh, just hoping uh, for a healthy uh, several weeks of, of baseball. We, we don't want to see any more Cardinals uh, on the injured list. Uh, the injury scourge has hit St. Louis and um, I, I am not a fan of it. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that that's the one thing I think, you know, we mentioned last week, it, it looking like this might be a rough month as, as guys are getting healthy. Um, I think you and I are not too terribly worried for the overall season, but certainly more injuries could uh, could change that. So uh, we'll, we'll hope we don't see that and hope we see some uh, some better baseball as some of these guys come back. And uh, we'll be with you guys next time the Cardinals have an off day. So uh, until then, enjoy the games. We'll talk to you soon.